Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Man Up, Man Down. Today, with another female guest, we we seem to get more female guests on the show, which is great. Um, seems to be that you know, if I say female, f- females are interested in in male and males' midlife crisis and midlife and mental health, which I think is good. I think it's just more that we're you know incredibly charming men. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> I remember in one of the show notes, David, you you talked about um, looking for a wife, weren't you? <laughs> looking for a wife or for offers, I think. I don't know how you phrased it, but uh, I, I really. Oh no! Well, no, no, this is part of the deal. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, the the bad news is I am now a married man. Um, I got married at the start of December, so um, you know, after a uh, seventeen years of courtship, um, having children and a mortgage, I thought, you know. Maybe it was time to show a bit of commitment. Oh, yeah. I, do, I do still feel like I've rushed into it, but um, but anyway, sorry, we've already got off on a tangent. Co- co- congratulations, anyway, for getting okay. married. But um, so yeah, so we we should we should you, you already listened to her, heard her. Uh, we should officially welcome Fiona McKinnon on the podcast. So she's CEO and co-founder of the Moment Company, originally from the northeast of Scotland. So you will hear that on her accent, which I I love the Scottish accent because. I mean, my wife's Scottish, so I'm, you know, I'm a bit biased here. Uh, she now lives very close, actually, to to where David and I live. So um, in in lovely Sussex. I don't know if she wants to disclose where she lives exactly, but I'll leave that up in her. <laughs> so she she has quite an interesting um, history. So she has over, and I'm reading this out from from a LinkedIn profile. She has over 22 years experience in the advertising, media, and ad tech industry. So very similar background to myself, actually. Um, built startups, working in large organizations. And she has worked and partied hard like many people in the media industry. So definitely an industry, you know, David and I are familiar with. And yeah, it can be can be quite quite woozy and yeah, a lot of drugs as well. Not that I've ever been involved in them, just for full disclosure. Anyway, in 2014, she suffered severe physical and mental burnout. She didn't have a well-being practice beyond extreme exercising and dirty martinis. So there we go. She did not believe that meditation and therapy were for her. That newfound curiosity led her to learn transcendental meditation, so we can touch also on that actually, study mindfulness and breath work, and to become a neurolinguistic programming and Reiki practitioner. She is uh, three and a half or four years sober, as she just told us, so LinkedIn is half a year out of date, there we go. And it's fair to say she the, the impact of her daily practice and purpose has been profound and life-changing, so um, we, we're all keen to hear about that. But first of all, Fiona, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. To so, both of you, nice to be here. Yeah, a bit, bit of a lengthy intro. Apologies for that. So, so lots of things we we, we can talk about here. Um, do you want to start with maybe a short intro? You know, if I say who, who you are, what you do, and then we take it from there. Sure. Um, yeah, my LinkedIn profile sounded a little bit lengthy and formal there, but I I am uh, yes, I'm Fiona. I'm the co-founder of Moment Company. And a Moment Company, we are really passionate about sharing the benefits of 
mindfulness, of meditation, of breath work, but really just about learning the importance of taking a break, just taking a pause throughout our day. Now, whether that is, you know, as you just shared, Volker, go, going off on a retreat for a weekend, yeah. that's important. Uh, you know, going on holiday, that's important, but just learning how throughout our day, we can just take a break, understand how we feel, so that we can then move forward from a place of more control. So we work with companies and individuals in, in looking at, at mindset management, at stress management, and about how those two things really tie together in terms of performance and well-being. How do we show up at work? How do we show up in life? After all, we're the same person inside and out. So if we're looked after in our workplace for our role, that's great. But how are we looked after as ourselves and our general well-being? And often the latter is forgotten. And I strongly believe that in order to be better people in our society, in our workplace and in our lives, we need to be healthier and happier. And to do that, we need to be more aware of our our well-being. And um, that's a general fluffy term that I think gets overused, but it's how we feel, how we show up, how we do things and how we feel about doing those things. It's really important. So that that's what we do. We we run workshops, we run programs, we have one-to-one coaching um, sessions available. And we also have a product that helps people just take a little bit of time out of their day um, just through some simple breathing exercises. And I love sharing meditation and mindfulness exercises as well. Brilliant. Yeah, the, the, the product, let's talk briefly about the product because I, you know, in full disclosure, I used to be involved in... Uh, you know, when the company was still called Moment Pebble rather than Moment Company, it's its infancy. So you want to talk about the Pebble for, for a moment? Sure. The Moment Company originally was called the Moment Pebble, as you say, Volker, and that was before I actually joined Alex and, and Charlie, who were the original co-founders. And as a trio, we all had the same issue in that we were burnt out. And we all had the same issue in that we didn't know how to recognize burnout as it was building. But interestingly, we had different reasons why we got there because we're all unique and it manifested itself in different ways for each of us as well. So for me, it was physical primarily and mental. So I, my immune system was depleted. I got every bug going from the norovirus to um, Giardia. So and everything E. coli all within a six month period. I think my body was telling me something I needed to rest. For Alex, it was short term memory loss. And it was more mental. And for Charlie, it was very much emotional. He had just lost his mother. He had started a business and had three children under three who are live wires. And he found that meditation was helpful, but would forget or just not have the space to do things throughout the day. And that's where the concept of taking moments was created. How can you bring that feeling you get when you do a formal practice like meditation or yoga? How can you bring that into your day-to-day? And that's really where mindfulness takes over. So mindfulness is simply about being 100% focused on a task at hand, whatever that may be. It could be cooking, it could be running, it could be when you're in that flow state of getting emails or invoices or whatever it is out the door. And so... He read that if you have a physical object that can remind you to do these things, you're more likely to do them and you're more likely to keep doing them because it becomes a reward loop habit. 
And so he went about trying to find something that he could purchase that would help remind him to be mindful and perhaps also guide him through a session. And there was nothing available. So he remembered walking along the beach with his mother as a child, he used to pick up pebbles, you take them home, you put them on your mantelpiece and it reminds you of some nice times that you had and it reminds you oh, of that lovely moment you were on the beach. And so we have created a natural stone product that looks like a pebble. It lights up and guides you through a breathing sequence um, and also feels very tactile and soothing. So it's great for kids with ADHD. It's great for people that um, physical touch is something that's soothing. Um, and it also comes with a program where we introduce people into all the concepts of mindfulness, breathwork and meditation in a very kind of gentle and curious way. We don't go too deep on anything because um, we want to give people a flavor of all the different types of things they can do in a moment and not just one particular avenue like like meditation. So that's the product in a nutshell. Um, and yeah, that's available on our website, on Amazon, and it's something that is available for, for consumers. One of the things that I, I mean, you've said a lot of, of, of fascinating stuff there. I mean, one of the things that I read, well, because I, I use um, Calm and I've used uh, Headspace in the past. And um, I mean, when I was reading about the moment Pebble, I know that you sort of said about how, well, when you're using your phone, the, you know, you could be in meditation and then you get a call from a client, a colleague, you know, your wife, your husband. I mean, like, I, I, get, I guess that's one of the things that I almost struggle with is that, you know, I know that, um, that mindfulness is, you know, re well, for me, it's highly beneficial. And I, but I go through sort of periods where, I neglect the practice, but also periods of where, you know, I'm like, I, I want to disconnect from my phone. So it can be difficult to almost sort of, well, yeah, you know, when you're using your phone or a, a device to meditate, it can sort of, well, be counter counterproductive in a lot of ways. Yeah. So that I, I, I believe that there's Technology is amazing, right? And technology has its place and it's changed our lives and there's a lot of good that comes from technology. I also believe there are times when it is not helpful and it's not the best for us. And it's proven that even just having your phone by your side without you even looking at it is a distraction. Um, and it can take us up to 23 minutes once we started scrolling to get back into kind of a, a focused state again. So if we're constantly picking up our phone, we're never fully present in anything that we're doing and just think about your normal activity in a day one of my bugbears is you know when someone has an apple watch and you're out for dinner and they're just checking their phone every two seconds they're not they're not listening to you they're not engaged i don't feel good about that um interaction i feel distracted and the minute one person picks up the phone everybody else does then it's like a domino effect and you know one of the things that was really important to us is that our moment practice is always offline. It's not connected to a phone because again, although technology has a good place in our lives, I believe that wearables in particular are distracting us from really understanding how we truly feel in a moment. So you need your phone to tell you to move, to breathe, to drink a glass of water. How do we manage 
for centuries and centuries without technology and stay alive. It's incredible, isn't it? And I just think the more we detach ourselves from how we truly feel and we rely on technology to tell us, we are creating an even greater mental and physical health problem. I truly, truly believe that. Because if you think about nerves, excitement, fear, anger, all of those emotions make your heart rate go up. You can be absolutely excited, happy, exhilarated, or you could be petrified. Your heart rate goes up. How does your phone or your watch or your wearable know the difference between those two emotions? It doesn't. It just knows that your heart rate has gone up. The only difference your body knows between those two emotions is the thoughts that you attach to it and the environment and the occasion that you're in. And my fear is that we lose more of that sense of self the more we become reliant on wearables and technology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is something that we've talked about in the past. And I think I've forgotten the name of the term, but there is actually a um, a term related to insomnia or, you know, sleep disruption that is literally caused by the fact that well, you know, you're stressing about the fact your phone's told you that you've not had eight hours sleep. So, you know, you're you're sort of stressing and and you're doing great yeah. yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sort of guilty of it in the you know every morning I look at my Garmin. It's like, well, you know, how well did I sleep? And you know, and there's times it's like, oh, didn't sleep very well last night. And I think actually I feel all right. And then there's other times where I'm exhausted. But Garmin's like, oh no, you, you know, you had eight hours last night. And I think well. Yeah, I was awake at two in the morning thinking about... Um... Here's the thing, where That's actually caused a little bit of anxiety for you, hasn't it? So these these devices that we are looking to be our answer for our wellness, you know, we're outsourcing, in my mind, we're outsourcing the responsibility for our own health and well-being to technology. It's creating that anxiety, you know. People want to keep their streaks going. People want to record all the data. They want to be able to look back at trends, but... But they're not actually being fully engaged themselves in truly understanding how they're feeling. And that's where I feel there's a disconnect between those 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 two things where the practices that we're talking about, mindfulness, meditation, breath work, they're all free. They're all sacredly offline in my opinion or should be. And they just allow you to detach. And that's when things really start to come up and you start to begin to understand what are your triggers how you're actually feeling and what it feels like in your body without having to outsource it to somebody else to tell you because newsflash technology doesn't know how you feel it just knows how your body's reacting and that's two very different things yeah i'm 100 with you on that i used to have an apple watch and and yes i like the the breathing app right but as you say it's just it's not the same as sitting down and, and meditating and going on in-flight mode and as you said i'm, I'm on you know at time of recording we, we always make these timely uh or t- t- timeline comments, um, but uh, you know I'm, go- I'm going on a retreat this afternoon, and I'm feeling a bit anxious actually about turning off my phone because s- some things like let's say kids' football training and stuff all goes to my app. My wife doesn't have access to it, so there's so many things I'm thinking about rather than just you know just turning it off and then turning it back on on Sunday, right? Because I, w- I was told I'm not allowed to use it, which is the right thing to do. But maybe under the blanket in the middle of the night, I could check my message. <laughs> it's crazy that we even think about that, right? I mean, why do we have to? As you say, right? There's, 
is, is there a need? I don't know. Is there a need for technology to, to make us more mindful? <laughs> but I mean, you, you mentioned something there, Fiona, that I'm like really sort of guilty of in the, yeah, I've got, you know, a mindfulness practice and it's like, oh, I'm on a 50 day streak. And it's almost like, right, I'm going to do one minute of breathing to make sure I've got that streak, but I haven't really got time to meditate today. And then, you know, it's almost like getting anxiety about the fact that I'm not meditating. And it's like, wait a minute, the whole point of this exercise is to free myself from, you know, these these feelings of, well, of, um, I guess, you know, getting it right, <laughs> whether that is meditation or sleeping or, you know, living. Or competitive wellness. Mm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're only competing against yourself you do realize that right <laughs> so, yeah. but, but i you know i understand that we're all very data driven these days and we like to see progress and i think that's actually one of the hardest things particularly as a business in this space and working with businesses is that everyone wants to know what's the quickest i can feel better what's the maximum amount of impact what does it mean to the bottom line and when you say to people it will take some time it's not something that you know is going to happen overnight yes you can feel different after one session we all know that when we've had like a great workout or a yoga session or you've had a really good day you you can feel it in a in a moment however to feel real change it's about consistency and it's about finding something that works for you that you want to do it and you can build it into your daily routine so that you don't have to kind of you know mark it off on a chart it's just it just becomes something that you do every day so I do not get out of bed before meditating every single morning and I do not go to sleep without writing a gratitude journal every night it's just my routine I don't have to think about it it's just how I choose to bookend my day and then there's various things that I do in between that some extreme like cryo freezing myself once a week all the way through to just making sure that when I'm cooking or something that I just take a mindful moment I love listening to podcasts when I walk and there's just different things you can do almost like a reward for taking that time out for yourself but for me if I started to bring the competitiveness into that I think I would lose the benefit um so it's about finding something that doesn't take up much time in your day that you can build into your every day. That's, that's how you get that real change. And so, yeah, so coming back to that measurement, it's really difficult to say, do you feel better today to someone and to truly know what yes or no means. And that's where the more that we practice these and really understand how our body feels, we know whether there's 3000 emotions that we experience more than just mad, sad, glad, and bad. But we just kind of put ourselves in small buckets. But so the more that we practice mindfulness, the more we become aware of the nuances about how we're feeling. And then it's easier for us to gauge how much progress we've made, but also how much more control we have around our emotions as issues might arise. So it might be in six months time that you're faced with a stressful situation that you look back and say, I dealt with that a lot better than I would have before because of all of these things I've been doing. So mm. you don't always feel that instant benefit and relief, but it's the small things daily that add up to make the big change. Yeah, we, we're living in this world of instant gratification, right? 
I mean, Amazon has, has everything. I mean, the, the reason I'm sure most people would know that by now, the reason Amazon delivers so quickly is because you, you get this high from the delivery. You'd be like, oh, I want to order more, right? Mm -hmm. So the quicker you get it, the more you're going to buy, right? Because it's this constant gratification. I'm thinking, in, in, you, you, obviously in, in, in the intro, we talked about your burnout. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? What, what, what do you experience? And, you know, I mean, burnout is so common these days. And I've, I've spoken to, to a few people that had burnout. Yeah. I luckily, Touchwood, never had a burnout. Although, if I say maybe I had, right? Or may, maybe I don't know. Or I probably would know, but I probably was quite close. Anyway, what's, what's your background? How, how did mindfulness help you with that? Yeah, so my as as you said in the intro, I um I worked in the ad tech and advertising and publishing industry for many years, and I did a lot of global travel. I worked for startups, which meant twenty four seven, always on, and I just didn't realize that it was beginning to impact my mental and physical health. And it's only a, a little bit like the progress that we just talked about. It's only when I look back that I realized that it had been building up over a long period of time. I just didn't know how to how to recognize it. And I started covering it up with things like drinking too much and, you know, all the usual addictive behavior. So drugs, alcohol, exercise, work became the way that I was escaping or covering up the stress that I was feeling in the in, in, in my life. And I had a period where my relationship and my job fell apart at the same time I lost my visa and I had to move country as well so you talk about the three-legged stool of you know your health relationships and and jobs around wealth and I lost all three at the same time and found myself in Canada in six feet of snow and it was around that time that I began to get some physical illnesses around my immune system right. and in 2014 my body finally gave up and I realized my mind had tried to be tell, tell me for years to slow down and I wasn't prepared to listen and so my body finally made that decision for me and so I spent about six to eight weeks I, and, and at that time I, I decided to quit the corporate world I couldn't I couldn't continue to fly all over the world I realized I had set myself no boundaries I just said yes to doing everything I was people pleasing. I was usually the only woman in the boardroom. So I wanted to be the toughest, the strongest, the work hardest. I just couldn't do it anymore. And I had to realize that just had to say no and stop. And so a couple of friends introduced me to work by people like Sean Aker, Brene Brown, Marianne Williamson, Abraham Hicks, Manifestation, Eckhart Tolle. And I just thought, hmm. Why not? I'll listen to this. Because before I was very digital brained and I was extremely skeptical and I just thought it was all mumbo jumbo. But I thought, okay, why not? So I started to read and I was like, well, maybe there's something in this. And so I started to consume lots of podcasts. And then eventually someone said to me, I've been doing transcendental meditation. I feel it's been life-changing for me. I think it, you would really enjoy it as well. So I went off on a course for days, studied Transcendental Meditation. And I have to say, it's been the single biggest gift that I gave myself along with so sobriety. Those two things combined are what's made the, the biggest change in me. And my friend who told me, try Transcendental Meditation said, and by the way, you'll probably stop drinking. 
And I thought, nah, I don't think so. I'm Scottish. It's not allowed. Um, but she was right. <laughs> Six months later, I I just woke up one day and said, I'm done. Oh. I can't do this anymore. I cannot live a more mindful life. I, the more I got in tune with my body, my mind, the more control I, I had over my thoughts, the more I was aware of what I wanted to do, what wasn't working for me, the more I realized alcohol, drugs, addictions had been holding me back for years and had been a huge contributor to my stress and my anxiety. I just didn't want to admit it. So, I mean, were people raising concerns about your drinking? I mean, you sort of talked about how you're working in an industry where you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of encouraged. And, you know, especially this time of year where, you know, all the Christmas parties are going on. I mean, but yeah. So, you know, was it was it you that sort of just thought this isn't working for me or were were people raising concerns? It's funny, David, because no, no, no one raises concerns. And, and, and it's interesting in this. I mean, I lost a very good friend last year to alcoholism. She was 46. And we all knew. Sorry to hear that. I know. And and an extremely successful woman. I mean, head of HR, major bank, law degree. Um, In fact, she had three degrees. Um, She she was a fitness instructor. Like there was nothing about her that 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 should have led her down that track. And we all knew, but 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 the person has to want to change themselves. And, you know, even when she was in hospital, she was still asking for bottles of vodka, you know, and it's it's an illness. And I I was not an alcoholic um, and no one would have thought I had a problem from the outside because as society, particularly in the UK, as we know, mm-hmm. drinking, that's what everybody does. I, yeah. I set a challenge to anyone to try and buy a Christmas or a birthday card that isn't about booze, drinking, hangovers or being drunk. Yeah. We... We make fun. We're playful about it. It's socially acceptable to talk about how much you drink. Oh, the mum grabs, you know, grabs a glass of wine. It's seen as a social support. So to the outside world, no, I wouldn't have had a problem. Do I have individual instances that if I told you right now, you would have said, Fee, that's a problem. That's not normal behavior. Yes, I've got hundreds of them. But in individual instances, they weren't enough to make me stop, which is frightening because I put myself in some very dangerous situations, which is only now I can reflect back on and realize what I was doing to myself. But it's that small, steady over time, as we were talking about, that I recognized that I was causing myself harm. But I mean, it's interesting what you say about, well, you know, again, this time of year, you know, every advert on the radio will be for alcohol when it is you know you cannot you cannot enjoy yourself you cannot celebrate without alcohol I mean sort of so I um I mean I've I had a break of <clears throat> about an hour um an hour <laughs> a year oh, <laughs> I had a break of, of a year of, of, of without drinking and I mean at the moment I'm um, I mean for me I you know I I guess once you know once I start, I have, I have difficulty in stopping, but it's, you know, the fact that I just cannot handle the hangovers and that, you know, it, I'll, I'll be in a, a real state of depression for a good week. 
And, you know, when you work for yourself, it's like, I can't, you know, well, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't I wouldn't, I'm sure an employer wouldn't put up with that. But, um, you know, for me, it's just like, well, actually, I know that I operate a lot better when I'm, you know, not drinking. But I mean, you know, you sort of any BBC drama, like any scene set in the evening and that, you know, it's a glass of wine or a beer. And, it, you know, it's I mean, when we we did um, an episode about alcohol and, you know, and I said that. Well, A, yeah, you get that thing of the badge of honour of, of how hungover you are from the night before. But it's also this this thing of, you know, you wouldn't say to someone, oh, go on, you know, have another, you know, smoke more crack, go on, all your mates are doing it. Whereas, you know, what's wrong with you? Why, why don't you want to smoke some crack? Whereas with alcohol, it is, you know, it's like, what's wrong with you if you, you know, you don't want to drink? Yeah, and and... And it's interesting when we've been doing some workshops in ad agencies and kind of some of our old industry um, clients recently. And if I do mention that I, I don't drink anymore, quite a lot of people come and speak to me privately afterwards and ask me how I've done it, that they're sober curious, which is a really growing movement now, that they don't think they've got a problem, but they know they want to make a change. And also that the more mindful they're becoming and the more they're curious about how they can kind of feel better in themselves, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't align with those 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 two things. And usually it's peer pressure. And it and I'll be honest, it tends to be men more than women. So be younger guys will come up and say, I actually don't want to drink anymore. I don't think it suits me, but my mates don't invite me if I don't want to have a pint with them or I feel really pressured into going to the pub all the time and I, it, I just don't want to do it, but that's their social connection. And so that's really hard, particularly in men, I think, where that kind of camaraderie, which, you know, I, I don't go out much these days, <laughs> not because I don't drink, just because I'm, you know, older, <laughs> but I don't go to the pub. But I don't know, are, are young men still doing that? Is that or how you get your social connection? And I think there's this fear that if they don't go out and socialize in the same way, then they, they don't have that same connection to their mates, so they won't get invited. And the sad thing is, it doesn't matter what's in your glass. Mm. Yep. You could still have that connection. You can still go out and have that time and you can still get together. It doesn't need to be based around around alcohol. But, you know, what's great is the increase in non-alcoholic options. My local pub's got um, Heineken Zero on draft. I can have a pint. Nobody knows anything. Yep. So, you know, to me, it's about giving people choice. If we can offer more choices for people to be able to say today, I don't I, I don't want to drink too much or I don't want to drink at all. There's an option there that makes everybody feel comfortable and they can they can still kind of be in that environment and feel safe. So that is it is improving. Um, but I I am concerned that that's the reason why people don't want to stop is that they don't want to miss out. I mean, I sorry Volker I'm uh, monopolizing the conversation it's fine if, if I say I'm hungover today I shouldn't say that but uh, you know <laughs> but I mean you can dominate the uh, I mean we, we talked so much about alcohol but go ahead yeah <laughs> yeah I mean what my big bugbear is that um you know is yes it is improving but I still feel there is a complete lack of choice around like non-alcoholic drinks in the it, you know, I'm I'm an ale drinker, so I prefer the non-alcoholic ales as opposed to like the Heineken or Beck's. And it is all, you know, like I've been in restaurants and I'm like, oh, you know, what what alcohol-free beer do you have? 
oh, well, we've got an alcohol-free beer. I'm like, yeah, but what is it? And it's almost like as long as we've ticked this box, then it's fine. And it's like, well, you know, I'm likely, if if I'm in a pub where all my mates are drinking and there's a variety of alcohol-free beers, I'm more likely to stay there longer because it's like, oh, well, I'll try that one, I'll try that one. Commercially, commercial industries will will realise that and start to make those changes. You look back even... I think four years ago, you know, I, I had very little option. Now, now that it's yeah. it, it is it is improving, but it's important that we don't lose that social element too. Yeah, and you know that that is almost what drags me back to the pub. Almost is that well, I think with men, it, it's not oh, you know what you what what you up to would be good to to connect and bond. It's fancy a pint, <laughs> you know, and that, that is almost the language that we speak in. And it is. I'm just thinking about um, about men specifically that I talk to, which you know it tends to be all around our age. And when they are looking at that connection between their physical and and their mental health, it tends to be that something has physically happened. So maybe they've had like a knee injury, or you know, or sports injury, or something that's physically happened, and maybe it's made them look at their lifestyle, or maybe. Um, need to lose a bit of weight or the doctor said you know blood pressure is kind of high and they're like I know that I need to make a change I know that I need to do something I'm just not quite sure where to start and and it's that kind of realization that physically you we become um you know we're, we're, we're not made of steel anymore you get to a certain age and you realize that how that hurt and it took a long time to recover so you start to think about well how can I look after myself better alcohol is part of that conversation but what I find when I have that conversation as well is that it's also mental so I can see the physical deterioration it's a strong word but you know what I you know physical change I know I need to be looking after myself better and I know if I sort out my mind or I'm more mindful about how I'm living it can help with all aspects of my life and I feel that um that's usually where my conversations start with some kind of like physical niggle that then translates into which meant I had to stop drinking for a bit. I'm feeling a bit better, but I don't know what else to do next. How do I how do I look at the mental side of of my well being? Yeah, I mean, t- talking about physical side a little bit. No, we're not going to talk about David's uh, fat football. What <laughs> again? Sorry. <laughs> Inside a joke, there's a little as well. Um, we we recording this just just to put a timestamp on just just before Christmas. Obviously, David already mentioned the the festive period in terms of drinking, but the other thing, and quite frankly, that's why why I had probably a glass more than I should have had last night, is stress. Right, so I had a really stressful day yesterday, trying to get everything done, everything crammed up before Christmas. Right, we all know we never finish before Christmas, and uh, yeah, it's it's just you know it, it's this relief. Right, this this instant relief when when you have a glass of wine or beer or whatever your you, you, your choice is, right? And I think we we, we increase if I say that the, the physical stress increases, then then you you grab alcohol, it relieves, and then you know if I say most most people know that by now as well, right? You, you get a relief, but it, the addiction comes in because it wears off and you get more anxiety, so you drink more to to calm down that anxiety, and then you stop and continue to drink. I'm not quite sure where I'm leading with that, but I think it, 
it's this vicious circle, right? Whether we're inundated with information. I mean, I, I gave a talk on, on mindfulness actually this this week as well, where we we have so much going on in our lives, right? We we constantly stressed. We we can almost not be stressed if that makes sense. So it becomes more and more difficult to actually, you know, to your point, take those breaks, right? I think it's not much to do with that stress, right? We have to have some element of, you know, the use stress in our lives. Otherwise, we would just lay in bed all day and go, what yeah. ifs? Because there would be no emphasis, no oomph to get up. So you need a little bit of that energy. You need a little bit of that buzz. You know, that's what makes life life. Like, that's what makes it exciting. That's what makes you want to yeah. do things. But I think from you know, what we practice and and and, and share and, and how I live my life is that the more mindful you are, the more space you create for yourself, just in that fraction when it comes to decision making, you find yourself in a more in a place of control so that the decisions that you make come from a better place. So by being mindful, by, by knowing and accepting, first thing is, you know, to, to stop and take yeah. a pause, <sighs> then it's to accept. I'm feeling pretty bloody stressed today. Okay, well, that's good that I've accepted it. Now, yeah. now, what does that mean? And what action am I going to take to change that? And, you know, the the more you practice it, the quicker that loop happens. But basically, it's about accepting, is this life-threatening stress? I mean, let's face it. You're saying, oh, panic before you get finished up for Christmas. Well, one, you never finished. What are you ever yeah. finished? It's like there's always something else, right? Otherwise, we'd be dead. So we're never really truly finished. So it's about, well, what can I prioritize? What really truly matters? Is this stress? Is this life, to, you know, is this something that I have to do immediately? Or can you just take a little pause and figure out maybe there's another way we can do something Except that maybe today is just going to be a stressful day. Write it off. Start again tomorrow. Yep. You know, but it's the more that we carry that emotion with us day in, day out, that's where we start to create disease and it becomes a physical reaction that we're having to things because we haven't broken, to your point about breaking that cycle, just taking a pause breaks that cycle. Just by listening to this podcast, anyone, yeah, you've all meet immediately change something in your mind because you've taken a break from what you were doing before that mindset shift naturally changes how you then move forward we're rewiring our brains every day all day and the more we can kind of take that pause accept and then make a choice of how we move forward because we always have a choice about how yeah. we react to a situation we're rewiring our brains for that reaction next time around and not the the triggered stress-filled one so takes practice but the yeah. more we do it the more we feel it and um the extremes of that stress and how how quickly we can move through it will change and i read this fascinating stat last year that said that your body reacts for 90 seconds after the original stress trigger so that fight or flight that <laughs> moment yeah. 90 second chemical reaction in your body and it's gone really? everything else we feel thereafter is our minds replaying it and torturing ourselves so that thing you did when you're 20 that you still go oh my god 
it didn't happen. It didn't happen today, but your body thinks it does because your mind yes. is playing the story like it's just happened today. So I practiced that just yesterday. I was having a stressful moment and I'm like, that happened days ago. Yeah. Interesting. I, I didn't know about the 90 seconds. Not, let your mind detach from the, the, the time of the actual incident. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, there's another stat. I'm not quite sure what the exact percentage is, but I think our, our storytelling mind, right, the one that tells us all these stories. So so the internal chatter makes up, I don't know, 70 or 80% of our daily chatter? 95% of our thoughts yeah. are the same as yesterday. Yeah. And 80% of those are negative. Yes. We are default wired to tell ourselves yes. that, you know, it's all doom and gloom. So if we can just fractionally change that, we can change the narrative slightly. We can change the language that we use so we're not using over dramatic negative language and we take it down a notch every time we frame something. We're helping rewire ourselves to be edging ever more to that more positive default mindset and away from that negative. It sounds so simple, but just you know, replacing a couple of words here and there and the stories that we tell. Reframe the stories. You know, I write a gratitude journal um, and it started when my dad passed away and I moved back up to Scotland for seven months to look after him. And even in the hardest days, I was grateful for the time that we spent together, the nurses, the care he was getting. And I reframed every day from a place of positivity, which meant that I could look back and it wasn't all doom and gloom. It was actually from a very grateful place because it's not possible to hold gratitude and fear and anger and hatred in your body at the same time. Yeah. If you can just be grateful for a few things every day, it actually does rewire your brain. Fact. I mean, a bit of advice that I once had, well, it's the hotshot lawyer approach. Well, for me, I've, I've literally just had an experience of doing work for a new client. So you know, I convince myself that this is the client that's going to realize that I'm actually no good at my job. And, you know, imposter syndrome kicking in there. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, so I, and, and I'm, I'm get, I get better at it, but it's still there. But it is like, right, you know, what were the times when you felt like this and everything turned out all right? And, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's like, well, what is the evidence that I'm rubbish at my job? You know, it's like, well, they might want some improvements, but, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, maybe longer. Um, I can't quite remember, but you know, it, it yeah, you, you do have to have a word with yourself, don't you? And as you say, is it true? Yeah. Is, is, yeah. is that actually true? Like you would say to a mate, you know, if someone turned around to you and said, you know, my life's over, it's all disaster, nothing, nothing ever works out for me. Is that really true? Yeah. It's, can you think of any times where, where things went well? This looks pretty good, mate. That looks pretty good. It's like, yeah. it is just challenging that belief because the minute you go, okay, well, it's not always true. Okay, great. So when sometimes it went really well? Oh, that time it went really well. Okay, well, that means this occasion, that might be even better. Like there's no, you know, logic to our thoughts yeah. and all stories. And so we, you know, we do, well, as Volker sort of said, you know, it's the storytelling minds where, We'll take some facts and then bend them round. And it's like, actually, I've completely, you know, I don't know what's going on in that person's head. But, you know, I've, I've basically spent my day creating a scenario about my meeting tomorrow that is, you know, completely opposite to 
what the actual reality is. You know, when you're expecting an important email or something, right, and you don't get the email, you're like, oh, the person doesn't like me anymore, or whatever, right? There's, yeah. there's a typical things. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry for not sending that email, Volker. I do still but, like you. you. Know, e- emails are, you know, I, I use that in my courses regularly, right? So, so people leaving, you know, I don't know, up after work, you know, group of work colleagues leave the office, right, and leave one person behind. Right. And, uh, you know, what, what goes on in the person's mind, right? They might think, oh, they don't like me anymore. They don't want to go out with me. You know, I said something, you know, whatever. But they might have just left him or her there because they didn't want to disturb them, right? Because they were, were working so hard. So you, you, you never know what people are really thinking. And I'm, I'm trying to teach that to my youngest at the moment, right? Um, also, gratitude. I want him to start a gratitude journal because it, it, it helps, right? To focus on the, the bright sparks. In your brain, you know the the, the positive moments. Well, something for for kids that might be helpful. Then what I I do as well is that I look for the magic in every day. So I I just write down magic, and it can be it yeah. like it can be a sunshine, a sunset, cup of coffee, or it yeah. can be like something synchronicity of the universe type, you know, magic or however you want to perceive it to be. But it just makes you, because this is something that we forget to do as we get older as well, is just to be a bit playful. Like it doesn't always have to be so serious. Why not let your, if your mind can wander into dark places, let it wander into bright places. Let it be unicorns and rainbows. Why not? (laughs) Treat yourself if it makes you feel better. So you know, I do kind of search for, try and search for a bit of magic every day as well. Yeah. Yeah, we do forget that. So. I didn't. Don't do enough of that. Yeah. Have fun. That's my New Year's resolution. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking about that last night because I, was it last night or was it this morning? I don't actually remember. I think it was this morning because it was still dark anyway. And and I looked at the moon and I'm like, look at the moon, right? It's still there and it's changing and it's been there for millions of years. And I find that a bit creepy sometimes, a bit stressful. But then, you know, it's, it's also very magic, right? To think there's another planet out there. Anyway, I find it magic, maybe. It's very grounding. That, that's why I live on the beach. Like, seeing the horizon yeah. to me every day is my place of grounding. It gives me perspective. Yeah. When I lived in London and didn't see the horizon, I realized that was driving me a bit crazy because mm. I had no sense of, like, the bigger picture. I, I, I talked about just drawing a blue line in the middle of my walls so at least I could see like a horizon line. It's not quite the same. But a lot, a lot cheaper than a, cheaper. a beach side yeah, It's to move out of London. But yeah, it's like, you know, finding that thing, that place, that whatever, yeah. that gives you that little bit of grounding and perspective is really important. And it can be made up or it can be nature, it can be your family, it can be other people, but just knowing what brings you that little bit of joy, yep. magic every day can can be really grounding and help reset when you're in times that you need to kind of call on that. Yep. Brilliant. I'm looking a little bit at the time, Fiona. Unfortunately, I, I don't know where this 45 minute went because I, you know, I just put it in the chat window. I, I, I don't believe it, right? It's so, so fast, so quickly. And we wanted to talk about so many more topics. Maybe like like with many of our guests, we we saying you know maybe we need to get you back. Um, you know they were, you know we we were thinking of you know talking about suicide in men as well because you know obviously it's so point of, of starting that topic now, but it's it's another sad topic and sad st- statistic. If I say particularly this time of year, I believe as well. So which is which is not great. 
But yeah, I mean, first of all, thank thank you so much for the insights, for for the mindful moments. And yeah, David, do you want to add anything else? Uh, no, I mean, you know, thanks very much, Fiona. Lot lots yeah. to think about, lots to talk about, and you know, I mean, yeah, I just think the whole moment thing. I mean, like, I, I it's something that I talk about is that as society progressed, progresses or has progressed we keep missing out on what would have been the natural rest moment. So, you know, something as simple as this time of year, you know, before we had electricity, it'd be like, well, we'll just hunker down and, you know, and, and why that might not be comfortable, but it's, you know, certain periods of, of the year that you're, you've got this built-in rest. And, you know, I've, I've said it again before about, you know, sort of Sunday opening times, but it, it does seem that all yeah. these natural rest periods are being eroded. So... It is great that there's someone out there that's trying to help us reclaim these moments of rest. Perfectly said. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Folker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.